trying to get fancy. Not everyone is a scientific materialist. Some people, many people, are neo-pagans, neo-gnostics, and monists. <laughs> I, you're getting your money's worth tonight. All the fancy terms. What, what does this mean? All three of these emphasize the spirit over the body. So scientific materialism would say no spirit, just electrical impulses. But these fancy terms, which are as which are ancient, ancient pagan religions, these are going to say that the spirit is more important than the body. So neo-gnosticism. We are seeing this resurgent ancient heresy. The word Gnosticism means knowledge. So neo means new. So it's a fancy way of saying new knowledge. What does this mean? That there's a secret insider knowledge that gives one true insight into the spiritual world. The material world and the flesh are inferior, even evil. Okay, well, let's go through these other two real quick. So asceticism, if the material world is evil, one must do all they can to avoid and escape the world, often through self-affliction, deprivation, or anything else that can free oneself from the flesh. So if the use of drugs and alcohol, uh, Eastern meditation, chanting, sweat lodges, whatever it is that you need to do to free yourself from the confines of the material is a good thing in this view. The opposite would be neo-gnostic hedonism. Since the material world is evil, there's no consequences to indulging your flesh since one will ultimately be liberated from the material world. So two different views. I need to escape, and the other one is I need to indulge. But they kind of do both. One will indulge in order to escape, and one indulges just because the material world doesn't matter. We're going to come back to these, this idea of Gnosticism. How about paganism and monism? Essentially, this is the next iteration of the New Age spiritualism. Whereas the New Age of the 60s and 70s married Native American and Hindu and Buddhist practices to nature worship, neo-paganism builds off that foundation. neo Paganism adds and engages in ancient, pre-Christian religious practices focused on animism. So the rise of earth worship and animal worship, and much of this is baked into the modern environmental movement, this idea of Mother Earth is built into kind of the Native American, Hindu, and Buddhist uh, religious practices. So paganism is witchcraft and occultic roots of the peoples of the West all now married together. And so uh, you, you'll see, so, well, we'll just go on a field trip down to Sedona and walk around, go into the shops and what more. It's, you see it more and more in, in music. So in the 80s and 90s, with the rise of heavy metal, 
you saw a lot of the outright satanic um, emblems in Pantera and Megadeth and many of the other bands that many of you enjoy. Just kidding. I know that you don't enjoy them. But nowadays, it's not so much the overt satanic, but now it's this spirituality baked into um, this, this neo-pagan movement. So, for example, if you have Netflix and you've scrolled past, I don't know if it's Netflix or Amazon Prime, but you have the rise of these shows on Vikings and that Norsk-esque perspective. There's an increased interest in Vikings and Viking religion and Viking music. And there's Germanic bands right now that are getting really popular globally that incorporate germ, um, ancient Druidic and Viking uh, mysticism and religious practices into their concerts. So when you go to the concert, it's actually a pagan worship festival and more. So it's on the rise. And these are going to be important because we're going to circle back to these when we talk about homosexuality. So we're going to hold on to these. What's monism? Monism is a fancy way of saying one-ism. And this is tied into these, re these new, recycled, ancient pagan beliefs. It's the belief that all that exists is ultimately one and interconnected. Um, it's in contrast to twoism, which is the biblical view of creator and creation. But in oneism, creation itself is God. Have any of you heard of the Gaia hypothesis? So I was taught in my undergrad, the Gaia hypothesis, that earth itself is a, is a living organism and a system that is not an inanimate object, but a living object. And so the, the pagan word is Gaia for Mother Earth. I, I was taught that in my secular uh, California institution. So oneism is the belief that God is lowercase g in, through, and everything, and you're God, and I'm God, and the tree's God, and it's all living together as one. That's going to become important when we start talking about LGBTQ+, celebrating LGBTQ+, and ancient religious practices and beliefs tied to transgenderism and homosexuality in pagan religions. So it actually, this is, this is going somewhere. So the last ism, before I take questions, and then the questions can span all these isms, is the hot topic of our current moment, and importantly so, the rise of neo-Marxism, although it, it's, it was, um, neo-Marxism is, is born really in uh, World War II, and critical theory, and its subcategories. So critical, how many of you have heard of critical theory? Yeah, right, I mean, it's, it's uh, don't teach critical theory in our schools and things along those lines. Critical theory has different varieties and so when you see critical theory, you can insert the word in between critical and theory. So you have critical race theory, critical legal studies, uh, critical feminist theory. So if you, took, uh, if you went to school 
and you took women's studies, women's studies is critical feminist theory with a different name on it, and it's, and it's put there. Uh, you can have critical um, fat studies. There's critical um, sex studies, which would be LGBTQ+. And these ideas of neo-Marxism and critical theory, because they go hand in hand, are tied with the phrase, the, the trifecta of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then the fancy word intersectionality. So what, what is this? In brief, these are interrelated areas sourced and grown in the American academic institution in World War II when these students of Marx, separated by some time, fled uh, the rise of Nazism and came to the U.S. and got into the academy and began to teach Marxist ideologies. The fundamental overlapping belief among these systems is that the chief sin, and I, I, I put sin in, in quotes because we're talking about the chief wrong or chief problem of society, what's wrong with the world, neo-Marxism and critical theory will say that it's systems of oppression. So the fundamental an overlapping belief and chief sin of society is that oppression in some form or another is the problem. And so salvation comes from the liberation of the oppressed by the oppressor. The oppressed person, the one who's held down, needs to be empowered. Have you noticed how... Um, how everywhere the term empowerment is more and more these days. Stand in the grocery store, look at the cover of the magazines, and you'll see the word that something's going to, someone needs to be empowered. It's all over the news, it's in the Academy Awards speeches, it's everywhere, it's just, it's everywhere. What's the implication of someone being empowered? They are disempowered, they are oppressed, and need someone to come and liberate them from their oppression. And so it's a cultural assumption. The oppressed need to be empowered, speak truth to power. Have you heard that one? And deserve equal outcome, not equal opportunity, but equal outcome as the oppressors. More than that, it's the overthrow of the oppressor by putting the oppressed in the position of power and privilege. Neo-Marxism is activist in nature. It's not enough to denounce oppressors. You are an oppressor until one actively and vocally engages in work to undermine and overthrow the oppressors. One remains an oppressor or puppet of the oppressor if you don't become an activist. If you don't write on the sign, and march in the march, then your silence is violence, and you're part of the oppressors. Intersectionality. This is complicated, but it's the belief that the more markers of oppression that you have, the greater your voice and your truth is. Remember back to the you do you and your truth? So the idea of intersexuality is that, um, for example, all women have an intersection against men. 
men as misogynists and patriarchs oppress women by virtue of our masculinity and therefore a woman has one intersection where she is oppressed by men all women and therefore a woman has a voice and a truth that men can't speak to have you heard the new phrase mansplaining have any of you heard that one mansplaining what's what's mansplaining <laughs> it's when he tried to explain something as a man to someone who's not a man. Yes. yes. Because it's perceived, not that you have, um, a, uh, it's perceived that simply because of your gender or your race or your sexual orientation, you do not have the right authority or truth to speak into somebody's life opposite, opposite of that. So, uh, preaching is fundamentally mansplaining because I'm opening the Bible and explaining it. And if you are not a white male, then uh, this is an act of oppression against you under this view. So a woman is oppressed because she's a woman by men, but black women have an intersection against white women by virtue of their blackness or, or any person of color against a woman of color. And I'm not, I, I'm pretty sure the math is that if you're a white woman, because you're a Karen, then a black man is oppressed by you because, or a person of color, a black, a, 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 a male person of color is oppressed by a white woman because of her whiteness. I think that's how the math goes. However, a black woman is oppressed by a black man because of the gender. But if you are a LGBTQ plus trans woman, so that's a black man who thinks that he is a woman, he's oppressed by black women because he also has the sexual orientation different. So a black woman doesn't know what it's like to be a black woman trapped in a black man's body. So you can just see that this is an unbelievably tangled web of of um well oppression and so so diane asks who makes the rules that's a good question the more intersections you have at that stop sign the more empowered you are to speak your truth and so it becomes a it becomes a game of measuring intersections and the more that you have um so there would be, um, there's internal debate on whether a Native American has more intersections than a uh, black person based upon the white colonialism and um, just all the historic details that go there. There's, there's debate. But remember what this is, all, this is all baked out of. This is all the notion that the problem of society is simply oppressor and oppressed, right? So old Marx, who was a wicked and evil man, he said it was economic oppression. So you needed to have the proletariat, the poor people overthrow the working class, the bourgeoisie, and if you could get into the position to uh, control the means of output and control the companies, if we got economic equilibrium, then everything was okay. 
So how did communism pan out in the 1900s? It, it caused more death than any other system. Uh, it was, it was, it was it's wickedness through and through. So the disciples of Marx then uh, came up with a social Marxism or new Marxism, neo-Marxism, where it's not economic oppression, it's gender oppression, race oppression, and sexual oppression. And it's those items that you need to overthrow. So intersectionality is part in that. What all these various diverse groups share in common is the common enemy of the cultural hegemony. That's a super fancy way of saying the majority. So if you go to Gambia, there's a cultural majority in Gambia. Black Africans. If you go to Venezuela, there's a cultural hegemony. Venezuelans. Um, so, and, and so on you go, right? But the cultural hegemony in America is the majority group in positions of power and privilege who on the system use their power and privilege to dominate culture and society. U.S. Census 2020, in America right now, the cultural hegemony are white folks, 57.8%. And then you have various uh, people of color who comprise the other. So white people are the cultural hegemony by, by race, to use worldly terms. Pew Research, if it can be trusted, says that in 2014, 70%, which is interesting, even including this group, are brothers and sisters in Christ. They claim to adhere to the Bible. I'm pretty sure this includes Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Protestants, and more. Uh, you have 22% are non-religious, and then about 6% are going to be uh, Muslims, Hindus, uh, Jews, and more. So the cultural hegemony, white folks, and belief system, Christianity. What needs to be overthrown? White folks and Christianity. Uh, technically, there's more women than men because guys are unhealthy and we die sooner we're stupid we make stupid decisions and kill ourselves quicker and god has graced women to live longer so technically white female and christian would be the cultural hegemony but men are the oppressors misogynists patriarchal bad guys so so if you are oppressed who do you have to go after to overthrow the oppressor you need to overthrow the baked-in Christian ethic that was still largely present in society up until, well, really, some would say 2014, the Obergefell decision that legalized same-sex marriage. From that point on, that's when the world, uh, at least in the West, was openly hostile to Christians. We are the bigots and haters and phobes for holding to the Bible. One last point to make you really encouraged. 
Northern Arizona University has recently made headlines in 2022 for plans to require students to take four diversity courses. Diversity is a diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are nice sounding words. Um, God loves diversity. When we have the vision of, of heaven, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, made one new humanity. We're in all around the throne, worshiping the Lord together. So how can you be against diversity? That's not what's meant by diversity. When you hear diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's talking about oppressor and oppressed. They are bad words. So they're going to require NAU students to take four diversity courses in order to graduate starting next year. Here is from the article linked below at Northern Arizona University. This is not a Christian article, by the way. This is just an academic uh, review. It's an institution that reviews different schools and universities. At Northern Arizona University, a course titled Do you see the word? Intersectional. We just talked about that. That's the name of the course at NAU. We should all go audit it. Intersectional movements of race, class, gender, and sexuality. Do you see the neo-Marxism and cultural theory baked into each one of those? So I, what I'm understanding is it's, a, it's, the, it's, the, it's intersectional movements, and you have a class on race, a class on class, so economics, a class on gender, and a class on sexuality. What do you think the stance is, and who are the bad guys? And all the students in that class are being educated when they come out to, to pass to agree with what's taught here. It promises to analyze, quote, this is from the syllabus, how intersectionality and the matrix of inequality have shaped the production of knowledge. Okay, you just have to stop there for a second. Do you guys remember when in California math was racist? Do you guys ever hear the, any of those things on the news? Math is racist. Science is racist because the entire, on the system, the entire knowledge system and way of thinking comes from that Christian ethic. And so when it talks about production of knowledge, that's a technical statement because we're postmodern and truth is relative and truth is relative is determined by the majority. Production of knowledge is determined by the majority people. And so when it talks about how inequality has been shaped by the production of knowledge, that is a hyper-technical, academic statement for students to go in and to go to the roots and foundations of everything they've been taught about how the world works and to blow it up. And to provide... Why do you think that word is used? a critical lens through which intersectional epistemologies can be foregrounded. What's this fancy talk? Okay, we've talked about intersectionality. 
Epistemology is the philosophical category of, of um, how do we know what we know? And then how can you trust the knowledge that you know? Well, if knowledge is postmodern and relative and you do you, then if you can dismantle and get the your truth, the intersectional ways of knowing, and they want it to be foregrounded. So they, they want to bring to the front of the class so that students can hear how they're blind to the truth of their, um, the racism that they are that's structurally baked into their whiteness. And because that's the case, foreground to all the various intersectional truths and let those with the most intersections speak their truth so that you can repent of your participation in those. Another one is introduction to queer studies, covers queer theory and, do you see it? This is from the syllabus, this is from the syllabus. And the social historical construction of gender and sexuality. Who invents gender and sexuality on that statement? The majority. And the Bible. My sons, wandering around in the hallway too, don't even sweat it. Have you been hearing that term lately? Allies? So on my screenshot of um, the Black Lives Matter movement, you will hear the word comrades used. So maybe for some who are younger in this room, the, notion, the word comrade sounds like you're just saying buddy, like amigo, comrade, buddy. Perhaps if you've lived a bit longer, where does the word comrade come from? Socialism, communism, Russia. Comrade. That's what you called people who, who agreed to a common communism, a Marxist ideology. So when you have an ally, ally is the new term for comrade. And so there, this class is going to explore the role of allies and social change, right? Because it's activism. We must overthrow culture. Trans existence, resilience, meantime promise to, quote, examine trans uh, ways of knowing the world, their truth, as well as critiques to Eurocentric models. Just the beautiful terms of, of language. Do you want to guess what Eurocentric models means? Euro, who's that? Yeah, it's the white people. And it's us who immigrated over here. And Eurocentric, well, what ever since the year 315 and Constantine uh, stopped the persecution of Christians, what's been the predominant worldview of Europe since that time increasingly. The Bible. Despite Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and Protestantism, that's Protestantism is the good guys, 
uh, the Bible. So to go against Eurocentric models of thinking about genders that explain people's existence within Western frameworks and ontologies, that's what you're going to get from the class. Each of these courses counts towards one of NAU's two diversity requirements, which students must satisfy to complete their degrees. Now NAU plans to take the requirements even further, mandating that students take four of such courses, a policy that the university's own diversity curriculum committee describes as, quote, unprecedented, close quote. And at least when I read this article and, and came across it um, last semester, NAU was excited about this because NAU was the institution in all of America who required the most diversity, equity, inclusion classes than anybody. More than Princeton and Yale and Harvard and San Diego State and UCLA and even UC Santa Cruz. These are the isms. Questions on isms. Yes, Craig. Here comes a, here comes a mic. Thank you. So, in your explanation of um, intersectionality, um, so how, how would they explain how political position weaves into that? Because it doesn't matter how many intersections you have. Um, if you vote Republican or are conservative, it nullifies all those. Like, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, explain, unpack a tangent. Well, well so <clears throat> if you're a black person and maybe you happen to be homosexual and vote conservative, Republican, you're not um, authentically black. Correct. And so you lose all your intersectionality points, right? Yeah. So, but how do they explain it? Well, that, that's what it is. They would say, use uh, name-calling epithets like Uncle Tom, right. or something along those lines. Uh, really, so this, this, I mean, politically, this is the far left of the Democratic Party. Um, and then when you have, um, um, what other parties do we have? I don't know. That's a, good, that's a good statement. Who am I thinking of? Democrats and Republicans. Libertarians. Libertarians. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, so there, there you got a spectrum within libertarianism, of course, and whatnot. But yeah, so basically, silence is violence. And if you don't agree with this narrative, regardless if you're a person of color, you get canceled. So the, the, here's, here's the, uh, a bitter irony. The bitter irony is that People from all tribes, tongues, and nations love Jesus Christ, believe it or not, not just white people. And so Hispanic brothers and sisters, black brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters, uh, East Indian brothers and sisters, and on down you go, are all canceled by not agreeing to these ideologies. This so they get really their points taken away. Yeah, you get, you get your points taken away. Yeah. And you have to go return to uh, start yeah. and roll until you get the right number so you can advance forward. <clears throat> so um, 
uh, you do you wouldn't really fit into their ideology, would it? Because if you do you as a white Christian male, you can't, you can't do that. It's, an, it's a non-sustainable uh, position, right? Yeah, so that's where, you know, last week we talked about, thank you for making that point, because, because the Bible is true, the Bible is the only coherent, self-sustaining belief system in existence. All other belief systems will have contradictions based in, baked into them. So that's why I said to the city council, you believe that black lives matter except for in the womb. And you believe Native American lives matter except for in the womb. And, and no one said anything to that. It's just inherently contradictory. Yeah, and, and so to add to what I was saying, if you're Asian, that doesn't count near as much as if you were black. Isn't that right? Because there's, I mean, what exists is um, a lot of tension between those two groups, apparently. Yeah, when it comes to academics, because historically, right. um, Asian culture has an excellent work ethic when it comes to academics that right. is superior. But when the diversity, equity, inclusion is saying, let's get rid of the SATs and performance reviews to get into an institution, uh, because it's trying to raise other ethnicities, it's actually the people group most affected by that are Asian women, because they tend to have some of the best scores. So they, they have an automatic trump card for any ideology or position that is opposed to what they believe. In other words, they'll find something to cancel you out with. Yes. If you don't, tell, if silence is violence. So if you're not an activist and for it, you're canceled. Yeah. Regardless of all, all your intersections are deleted. So you really can't do you. Yeah. Right. It's inherently <laughs> contradictory. Yeah. And... What's that? Serve and eats itself. And yeah. and we're we're snake crushers, right? So hopefully, <laughs> Jesus is certainly. Yeah. Um, any any questions? Yeah, Craig. Or thank you, Craig. Colt, forty-five. Just to clarify, um, is monism and pantheism the same thing? They would be closely related. So there's pantheism, panentheism. I just, it just gets nuts, right? But in the end of the day, they all agree that there's not a creator-creature distinction. All is one. So let's summarize. I would love to just do a tiny bit of Bible tonight because this is, makes me want to throw up in my mouth. So, summary. So much more can be said, such as, what is a woman? Not really many people know. Uh, gender transition for children, wickedness, and more. But it only takes a few moments, excuse me, of scrolling multiple news outlets, social media, to see how confused and contradictory, divergent, and divided our culture is. Right? So we talked about TERFs last week. Uh, trans, trans rejecting radical feminists are feminists who see through trans women, which are men who are women, who, think, who say they're women, um, and then the feminists say, wait a second, guys are just sneaking in again and taking over. What was the, um, Jill Biden gave a Woman of the Year award to a man. And the, um, 
Miss America pageant or Miss World pageant was purchased by a trans woman who gives women empowerment speeches uh, and more. So it's guys taking over sports and beauty pageants and you're welcome ladies, the woman of the year is a man. So he's mansplaining. Our culture cannot agree what gender is or what gender is rooted in, what a man masculinity is, what a woman and femininity are, what sexuality is and is for, what the family is and the roles and responsibilities of parents and children, what race and ethnicity is, what we are to relate and live as a society. We are experiencing, never before, the bankruptcy and internal implosion of these ideologies completely seeking to um, undo the world. So let me just finish this. In short, our society has no working understanding of what it means to be human, and instead it's in process of tearing itself apart based on competing assumptions of what it is to be and live as a human or an other kin, as a non-human. Carl Truman has wondered, in effect, how is it that a statement, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, has moved from unintelligible and absurd a generation ago to one of unthinking acceptance and celebration today. Truman has further elaborated on the same statement. A generation ago, a doctor would have said, you have a mental problem. Let's work to change the way you think, thereby conforming one's mind to one's biology. But today, a doctor would say, you have a physical problem. Let's change your body to conform to your feelings and mind. Of course, we cannot change our biology, but we can try to change our external look and hormonal expression through modern technology, but DNA biology stays the same. You can't change your XX or your XY. So this is a long and complicated and fancy way of talking about who gets to define and decide what it is to be human, what is marriage, what is sexuality, what they're for, and on and on it goes. And these are the different ways that our children and the students and all of us who live in this world are bombarded in subtle ways. And I want to suggest to you that the ways that these come in is not by someone saying, I am a subjectivist or I am a scientific materialist and I'm going to tell you something. It's the stories. It's, it's the show Modern Family. So if you watch Modern Family, super popular, super funny comedy, and in the comedy, it was one of the first main shows. I know Will and Grace had two homosexual guys on it, but in, in Modern Family, for the many year run that it had, I think a decade, give or a couple years, you had two married guys in that show, and they were part of the family, and when you watched it, you were endeared to them. They became your friends. You were sad when bad things happened to them. You were happy when good things happened to them. When they adopted their Asian daughter, you were excited and more. And you wa we watch the shows and you laugh and cry at the story. And you don't realize the entire time that the ideology behind it is accepting. So when we learned about Disney, and Disney wanted to make... 50% of all characters and cast moving forward to be LGBTQ+, that's grooming our children to believe in these sexual identities and more that it's okay, normal, and to be celebrated, even protected as superheroes. 
So that's what the world says. Can we get into the Bible? Thank you. So page 14, this is your new handout for this evening. What is the biblical explanation for everything we just talked about? Uh, there's a lot to say. I want to suggest to you what we are seeing experiencing right now um, in a unique way is Romans 1 on display. And one thing that we have that ancient pagan societies didn't have is the technical and scientific advancements of medicine. So um, gender reassignment surgery and hormonal therapy and more did not exist. So medical advances have allowed uh, the rise of more of these ideologies because if you feel you're the opposite gender, you can go and, and have um, surgery to give you the anatomy that you need and more. So we read Romans 1. It's, it's all right there for you. I've italicized and underlined um, some key passages to note, and we'll probably end with this passage uh, this evening. Paul says, beginning in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Get this, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For, this is what God has shown, verse 20, his in invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For, although, now pause for a moment, Paul is talking about all humanity, all ethnicities, all genders, all sexual orientations. He's talking about all of us. Okay, so going back, verse 21, all humanity was without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became uh, futile. They became foolish. Uh, they became insane, so to speak. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God, for images resembling bodies, birds, beasts and bugs, right? Images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, lusts. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, lesbianism. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with lust for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, prideful, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So all those isms and all that technical jargon and stuff that we looked at, the question is, what's the biblical explanation for the chaos of the world, the contradictions of the world, the false narratives of the world, the zeitgeist of the world? It is Romans chapter 1. By way of just a quick review, verses 18 and 20, here's what we learn. There is... For every person, an undeniable creational and conscience witness to the existence and attributes of God, his moral nature, and our accountability to him. Think about that. Paul declares in Romans, under the inspiration of the Spirit, that all people everywhere, we all are truth uh, suppressors. We are truth exchangers. We are truth deniers apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so every human being has a creational, right? Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. And we'll get into Romans 2 in a moment or probably next time about the role of the conscience. What we see is that people know of the existence of, and attributes of God and his moral nature, right? What did verse 32 say? They know God's righteous decree, and those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So the, what's happening here is people reject what's called general revelation or the book of creation. And they are... Um, and because they reject it, God is active in his immediate wrath. He gives them up. A 
apart from faith and the gospel, all people suppress the truth of God. They become fools and exchange the glory of God for idols, worshiping and serving creatures rather than the creator. So the root sin described here is false worship. So why does neo-Marxism exist? Why does LGBTQ plus exist? Why does any system other than what the Bible teaches exist? It exists because it's here of false worship, what the Bible calls idolatry. Biblically, Paul claims here there's no such thing as a true atheist. You just have a uh, truth suppressor. So someone may genuinely deep down say there is no God, but deep, deep down, right, what's the, what's the saying? There's no atheists in foxholes, that if you're in battle and you're getting shot at and overrun, Everyone becomes, uh, at least a deist, calls out to God in those times. Foolishness here does not mean someone is, um, has a, a, uh, is um, not smart. It's, foolishness is a matter of the heart. They don't believe in God. People, brilliant people can be fools in that their fundamental posture and explanation of the world rejects God. So all of these explanations, all of the um, academic inquiry at NAU and more, they're all pursuits of putting Roman one, Romans 1 on display to say, we're going to figure out how the world works and explain it by saying there is no, no God. Now I want you to note that while literal idol worship is alive and well around the world and in Flagstaff, go to a Thai restaurant, go to an East Indian restaurant, at its, and you'll see the food offerings at the, begin, at the entrance of the restaurant. At root, idolatry is the elevation of anyone or anything to a place of controlling or dictating one's life. Idolatry can be identified by... Hold on a second. Remember how we're learning that neo-Marxism and cultural theory and its varieties is activist in nature? when the people who were pro-abortion at the city council meeting and the various NAU students who came up and talked about their work in the pro-abortion uh, thing they work for in town, it was their identity of their mission in life was to, to be pro-abortion. Everything that we see ultimately is idolatry. So here's some ways, this is kind of a side note, like a little pastoral with you. How do you identify idolatry? An idol is anyone or anything I'm willing to sin to get or sin to keep. If you're willing to break God's word in order to get it, it's an idol. Next, number two, an idol is whatever or whoever becomes a source of identity other than being in Christ. So there's no modifier to the word Christian. Did you know that? White Christian, black Christian, straight Christian. There's no modifier to Christian. It's just Christian. That's what we are. We're a new humanity in Jesus. But when we add modifiers, um, LGBTQ+, and we, our identity is from something, whatever it is, my work, academic pursuits, whatever, that's idolatry. Number three. An idol is whatever or whoever, 
that if I gain, my life will finally achieve meaning, happiness, and satisfaction. And my life will have found its purpose in existence. Or number four, an idol is whatever or whoever that if I lose, my life will lose all meaning, all worth, and I lose my reason to exist. Those are really, really profound questions that everybody, beginning with myself, right? Our hearts are idol factories, and even as Christians, there's a conveyor belt of idols. And even the good gifts that Jesus gives us, we can turn into idols. I can turn my position in this church into an idol, as if this was my identity and not just simply being in Jesus. We can do it with our work. We can do it with our marriage, with our parenting, and all of those things. Um, I like this little summary quote here from the ESV Study Bible on verse 24. In every instance, when God gives them up to sin, it's a result of idolatry. The refusal to make God the center and circumference of all existence. So that in practice, the creature is exalted over the creator. Hence, all individual sins are a consequence of the failure to prize and praise God as the giver of every good thing. So that happens with marriage and gender and sexuality. And the whole point of this class, fundamentally, Paul's going to say there's a worship problem. And there's an idolatry problem. And so any engagement or read the headlines, notice that everything that you read ultimately comes down to a matter of worship. Is someone worshiping the creator or the creature? And then on it goes. Just so you know, if you ever want to do some really uh, good and painful heart work, uh, Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, is the best book on modern-day book on idolatry you can find. Not everything that he writes is the best. This is exceptional. It's really good. It's really good. We also learn then, what does God do? Because of this hard-hearted, willful, foolish rebellion, God gives people over to their sins. Paul begins by listing sexual sins. Then he goes to lesbianism. Then he goes to homosexuality in any form. Then he goes to the drunk drawer list of just all of those sins. What is God doing? God gives people over to their sin. It's a demonstration of his wrath in real time. When God gives people over, it means that he removes any restraint from their desire to sin and opens them to embrace that sin. That's what that means. So there, we talk about, when you talk about sin in the Bible, we are, people are not as bad and as awful as they can be, but we are thoroughly bad and thoroughly awful. <laughs> Meaning, we're not as sinful as we can be, but every part of us has sin in it. God restrains by his grace. There's a reason why we're not all physical murderers, but there's a reason why Jesus says we are all uh, murderers and adulterers in our hearts. So God restrains it. So part of this, giving people over, is that God removes, he loosens the leash. He lets out the line. He gives people over to be more sinful and act in their sin. It's possible to understand giving them up as either a progression from worse to worse, or maybe in this text, it's a side-by-side -side of lists. You can choose. 
in the context of Romans 1, all of the sins flow from and their acts of worship. And in the context of Romans 1, all these sins are ex- acts of exchanging Bible truth for a lie. They're contrary to God's creational order in a subversion, an undermining, and an inversion, reversal of God's creational order. That's why, that's why homosexuality is mentioned so much in this passage. And these sins, the sin list, that junk drawer at the end, those are basically the antithesis of what we read in the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what God's giving people over. God reveals that despite this truth suppression, deep down, all people know they have a sense of God's disapproval and his judgment, both present judgment and eternal judgment, against all these idolatries. And if you look back at verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. And I, and I really want you to fixate on that phrase, give approval, because we'll pick up on that next time. But one of the reasons, I'll just give you a spoiler alert, one of the reasons why everything is politicized is because if you're not a Christian, then your ultimate authority becomes the state. And if you can get the state to legalize or give permission to whatever your species of sin is, and the state says this is legal, then it's no longer going to feel illegal in the eyes of God's or in the eyes of God, the Trinity. And if you have state approval, then people can say, "Aha, Christian, you can no longer say I'm wrong, and now you're illegal and you're bad for saying that I'm bad." And so all the political maneuvering that we see to get things legislated is verse 32 on display that they not only do that, but they give approval. And in this case, try to legislate practices, whether it's pro-abortion, pro-critical theory, uh, pro-LGBTQ+, and more. Um, that's, that's, That's where the biblical definition of what we see taking place. Now, all across the the political spectrum, people have sin. But what we see here, and we see these sin lists taking place, these sin lists are creeping more and more into conservative circles of whatever political stripe someone is, whether it's libertarian or Republican. So the the tide is rising, and we're moving in a trajectory where there will be no political system that is safe, quote-unquote, that preserves in any sense or some sense God's biblical ideals. We'll, we'll talk about that more as we, as we go on. But this is the first explanation of why do we read about all those isms? Why is this going on? It's about worth, worship, truth suppression, and trying to get the majority to say that it's good, right, and beautiful to do these sins. Well, we'll, we'll finish there. I want to pray for us so that you can feel free to leave, but I'll stay and I'm happy to take any questions or clarifications that you might have. Lord, we, um, it's easy for our hearts to be discouraged and to be anxious, to be dismayed and even fearful 
uh, at these things that we hear and see in our world. But Lord, you're not fearful. Jesus, you remain comfortably seated on your throne. And Lord, one of the things that we recognize is there is such a bankruptcy in our world's understanding of what it means to be human and live as a human, that with all the bankruptcy and surgeries and different things that people are being taught and told, that when they are brought to their senses by the grace of Jesus Christ, that we as a church would be armed with the gospel of grace to show your love to them, to welcome them into the family, to say that, that the sins that they struggled with were this, many of the same sins that we struggle with, and that we welcome them because we know where they were in certain ways, and in welcoming them, or that you would send revival, and that your church would be ready not to build walls and keep people out, but to love the lost, and to love our enemies, at least those who think that there are enemies, and that we would see the gospel of Jesus prevail, many people saved, the church become more holy and godly, and that you would rework this world with your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, feel free to leave. Otherwise, if you've got questions, raise your hands, clarifications, or more. Yeah, politics is um, well in a fallen world. It's inherently corrupt. That's what I will, I will say it that way. In a fallen world, it's inherently corrupt. And if you believe that you have the answers and solutions for your uh, constituents, and you want to get into a position of power, then you will appeal to whatever your constitu constituency is far right, far left, and everything in between, and then you're gonna make those appeals. And if so long as you can demonize the other, that's why every election cycle that we're going through is an increasingly greater existential crisis, that if this party or that party gains power, then everything is gonna to go to hell in a handbasket. And so they, they make those, those claims, um, and they do so to rile up the people to vote for them and more questions comments clarifications raise your hand mike will get brought to you yeah pastor uh, you have footnotes in the uh, in the uh, scripture that you have or little writings is that because you're uh, claiming from esv that is because I'm lazy. So the, those, those blue little marks you see is I just simply copy and pasted and didn't go back and delete those. But in the online Bible, you'd click on it and it would show you cross-references of other verses that speak to that particular truth. Yeah, esv.org. I recommend to everybody, you can set up a free account. It's outstanding. Or pay like four bucks a month and get tons and tons of resources. It's super helpful. Yeah, sorry for that. I'll try to get unlazy. 
That's 100% correct, and that's why socialism and, and communism always lead to tyranny. Because the person you elect to get in power, uh, so look at um, Xi Jinping, right? The, the dictator and tyrant of China right now. So you have the, the Communist Party puts him in power, and what has he done? He has killed or exiled all of his rivals, and then he has removed everybody from his cabinet who would disagree with him, and he is the one. But through propaganda and different, I and mean, it's the same MO with all communists and then socialists. There are differences between the two, but you have to have a tyrant get into power in order to uh, maintain the good quality of your life. Um, okay. um, so someone over there said, who controls the rules, right? Say that again? Someone over there, uh, I think yeah. it was her, said, who makes up these rules, right? Um, and really, the simple answer to that is, is really Satan. You know, if you, if you go, it goes down to that. And uh, concerning NAU, um, you know, my mom is, is getting a degree there, and she was forced to take those four courses, and it was really upsetting for her. You know, and she even said, like, she had to sign and say, yeah, I do agree with this, I understand all of this. And then they said, all right, what's your feedback? And she's like, I don't believe in any of this. And... Um, you know, but NAU has done a lot of stuff. And like uh, recently, you started talking about that pro the pro abortion movement. NAU released a newsletter to all their students about their group a group advocating for abortion clinics on campus. And every single NAU student got that like a, like two months ago, I think. And it was really sickening. And there was they also and the next letter after that was like had a bunch of strippers on it. Strippers. That's the whole reason why women go to freaking college is to not go into a lifestyle like that, you know, to exploit your body. And it's, um, I had one more other thing, but I kind of forgot what it was, but. Uh, Excellent points, because they probably didn't give the alternative to say you could have an abortion here or you could go to a pregnancy resource center yeah. here and learn more details or anything like that. Yeah, exactly, they just you know, advocate. And, and you're right, I mean, Corinthians tells us at root, Satan and demons are behind all of these other perspectives. That's 100% correct. And that's why it's, you know, whether you talk about politics or academics, things are changing so rapidly that the Democrat, Republican and Democratic parties of the 60s are not what they're going to be for the next election cycle. And academics, but just in the last few years, where you would want to send your kid to any, any school, you now have to seriously think about the ramifications of that, uh, of sending them to, to universities and do due diligence if your kid is in public school and more. Good observations. Uh, any other questions? Questions, comments, concerns? I'll take sarcastic remarks. There is one um, that my kids have to take, and it's called happiness. Happiness? Really? Is that just for NAU athletes or just? 
Okay, happiness. Class is called happiness. <laughs> now I was going to just ask, uh, with uh, paganism, and uh, like with paganism, you showed some of like people who might not necessarily identify themselves as pagans, but basically adhere to those practices and stuff. My question was with Gnosticism, like I actually have a friend who is like a self-identified Gnostic, um, but uh, and our discussions are fun. But uh, he, uh, but my question is, do you see things like Gnosticism um, in a more uh, like just not like a clear Gnostic way, kind of like we see with the uh, pagans, you know? Or with the Do you mean like ancient Gnosticism versus well, the, neo-Gnosticism? No, neo-Gnosticism, because you were saying like with neo-paganism, you see how a lot of that, these people wouldn't necessarily identify themselves as neo-pagans, yeah. but they hear, adhere to those principles. My question is with neo-Gnosticism, where exactly do you see that falling in like society, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I think very few people have studied convictions, meaning... And, and, and frankly, this is true with us Christians, too. Uh, this is what my grandma believed. This is what I believe. This is, this, this, rather, rather than investigating Scripture for ourselves, being the Bereans, and making sure that these things are so. So same thing with a lot of people. I think you just sort of get this hodgepodge accretion. It's just like, I like this, I like that, I like this, and then it's called syncretism, and you bring it together. So I think Gnosticism is alive and well in the sense that people separate material and immaterial and say the immaterial is better. That case in point would be transgenderism. Transgenderism would be a modern day expression of neo-Gnosticism, though I'm sure that, I'm sure that, I'm gonna assume 99.9% .9 of transgender people would not self-identify as neo-Gnostic. But it's looking at the resurgent pagan ideas, so if you make some connections, if all religions and false beliefs ultimately are rooted in Satan, he recycles the same different false belief systems that they have to be plausible. They have to make sense of the world in some way. They can't just be outright nonsense, though people believe nonsense. They have to, there has to be some hooks that you can hold on to. And so I think with Gnosticism, the, the resurgence of it is just another recycling of satanic stuff. Good question. Anything else? Questions, comments? Sam. My final comment. <laughs> um, so we talked about how um, people have their social points or intersectionality, which I learned that's the actual term for it. I always called it social points, um, where, you know, like, you know, if you're black, you have one. If you're a black woman, you have two. If you're a black woman who is trans, then you've got four, right? Um, but then I noticed within those communities, they begin to compete with each other, too. So if you're already trans, you're a minority race, um, you're a woman, you're oppressed, they move on to other things like diet, for example. I, my diet's more healthy than your diet. I'm a vegetarian. Well, I'm a vegan. Right, and it, and it keeps moving, moving, and these things, some things that are good, they become, now I have a point and a half more than you do because I'm this way. 
You know, I have a global warming is bad banner out in front of my house. I have three rainbow flags on my house, you know, and, and it just snowballs. I, I've, I saw it when I worked at NAU, this kind of signposting um, and almost an internal battle that's going on between the different groups, even within the LGBT community. I think it's 86 different genders now that, that you can identify as. Um, and they're, they're, the, the lesbians hate the gay men who hate the trans men, and it's, it's crazy. So that's just an observation that I've been seeing. Yeah, we tend to, we tend to view things as monolithic. Now, cer certainly, you can have people who disagree or against each other have a greater villain so they can begin to cooperate against the villain. So if, 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 um, if Christians are the villain, then that's going to be the ones who you can unite warring parties, as it were. But yeah, it's, it's wrong. To, I mean, in the same way that if you peer into Christianity, and there's different denominations, we have different theologies, and there's infighting and disagreements, sadly, among us. You're going to have it in any belief system. So that's a really good point. One thing I failed to mention, speaking of, of intersectionality, is there's something called standpoint epistemology. And remember, everything has to have a super fancy name so you don't understand what it means. Standpoint epistemology applies intersectionality to the Bible. So because I'm a white male, I am hopelessly bound by my postmodern relativistic interpretation of the Bible and can only understand it as a white male. Not a black guy, not a brown brother, or any of those things, uh, not a woman. And so standpoint epistemology is, is taking this notion of critical theory and intersectionality and putting it on the Bible and then getting into this word game of, well, that's what it means to you, but I have more truth than you because I have more intersections, and therefore my interpretation trumps your interpretation, and the Bible becomes a, a ball of wax and... You can make, make it mean whatever you want. And that's called standpoint epistemology. In other words, well, from my perspective, it means this. And from your perspective, it means that standpoint epistemology. Anything else, you guys? Yeah, Martha. I don't know if I understood this right, or uh, did you say something about science being rejected because it was associated with the oppressors? Yes. Originally? Yeah. Then why do they put on those signs, I believe in science, or something like that? Yes. Inherent, now, now, does every single person who embraces a neo-Marxist critical theory, systemic racism idea, believe that science is uh, hopelessly patriarchal and racist. No. But it was making headlines, uh, especially with math and some other things. Mm -hmm. But again, that's like what Craig was talking about earlier. It's the inherent contradiction. That is, if you toe the party line and agree with the system, everything's fine. Don't question the system. Question the system, you're just, you're shouted down and canceled. There's no intelligent discourse, interaction of ideas or anything like that. And so 
Yeah, that, that's so I also told the the city council if we say that science is real and science unequivocally shows that a children a new human being begins at conception then why do we deny science by aborting new humans I when I was thinking through what to communicate to the city council I worked through in my mind my neighbors sign the modern-day creed and then just flipped the logic on it and it was just no no engagement no thought or anything like that so science is real if it fits your narrative and your desires so science bends to whatever you want science to be actually yeah Craig Oh yeah, the difficulty of the constantly moving goalpost. Yeah, yeah. Whatever their standards are, if they, you can call them standards, they're not standards because they don't sit still. They, they, they're constantly moving them further and further apart. But that's self-defeating in the end, isn't it? Because <clears throat> there'll be so many contradictions that they'll never be able to agree with anybody. Yeah, but as long as you have a common enemy. <laughs> That's, just, that, that's, what, that's what makes this sinister in our mind. As long as you have a common enemy, um, then... But a house divided cannot stand. Yes, and I think that's where... So I think we're, we're um, seeing some of the last gasps of secularism. You got the rise of religious, religiosity and spirituality. Then you have all the stuff that we're seeing that is the fruit of a postmodern secular idea that we can do life without God and there is no truth, I think even unbelievers are increasingly coming to their senses to say, wait a second, this does not work anymore. This is, this is not right. Now what's next? I hope the gospel. I hope the Lord sends massive revival. Well, that's Peter Jones's position is that um, we're not... We're, the problem will be paganism, not secularism. Yeah, I hope not, but yeah. yeah. But I like I was saying last week, you know, the, the, it, it, there's glimmers that wokeness might have peaked out or is peaking out. And, um, and I, I think back to, um, in the Old Testament, Elijah and the remnant, there's 7,000 believers left in, in a country of millions. And then everything turned, you know. But so, um, that's a great point. I am distracted because the Lamberts are in Sedona because they had friends come in from out of town from seminary, and they texted the the bathroom sign. Can you all see my phone from there, Brandon? Can you see it? So uh, they took a picture of a bathroom sign. And from left to right, it has a person in a wheelchair, a woman, a man, a trans person, an alien, and it says, whatever, just please wash your hands, restroom. Yeah, the signs are, need to get bigger. All right, you guys, well, thanks. Uh, my two-year-old's running barefoot in the church, and... See you guys. Good night.